I don't know about you, but I imagine since you are kind of like me, that there have been some times in my life when it has not been well in my soul. And I hope as we have sung those words this morning that you can honestly sing that things are well with you spiritually. And if that is not the case for you this morning, I, our lesson is not designed to reach those who are not Christians or even those of us who are children of God that may not be living in a way that, that honors and pleases God. But if that is you this morning, I, I hope that you will do something to respond to God's love and mercy and grace before this day is over so that you can have the joy and the peace and the hope that God has called us to have as His people. I appreciate so much the uh, invitation of this congregation and uh, your eldership to uh, invite me and my family to uh, come and to spend a couple of days here with you. Uh, we, uh, last time we were in the state of Arkansas, as I best remember, was five years ago this month in 2016. A long, long time ago, uh, 20, 21 years ago, I guess it's been now, as I was fresh out of college, uh, had, had the opportunity in college to do some fill-in preaching around uh, North Mississippi, uh, Alabama, Southern Tennessee, uh, to uh, make the decision when I graduated with a degree in finance. I had plans to be a financial planner but decided that uh, through the encouragement of a lot of brethren to uh, devote my life to preaching the gospel of Christ. And fresh out of college, uh, just a few months after I graduated in December of 1998, moved to a little town of Greenwood, Arkansas. I don't know if any of you are familiar uh, with that uh, town. I understand it's, it has boomed in recent years, at least on their scale. Uh, but close to Fort Smith, about as far as you can go west in the state of Arkansas without going into Oklahoma. And I spent a year there working with the Northside Congregation and Brother Harold Turner uh, was doing local work at that time, if any of you are familiar with him. Uh, so I have been in Arkansas, and we, five years ago, uh, just went to uh, spend, I think, a weekend, maybe Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with that, those brethren there. One of our children, when we crossed over the, the I-40 bridge at Memphis, and I said, look, you know, it says, welcome to Arkansas there in the middle of the Mississippi River. I said, look, we're in the state of Arkansas. And one of our children said to me, again, they're, they were five years younger than they are today. Uh, do they speak English in Arkansas? <laughs> uh, you don't want to know the answer I gave to that question. <laughs> Uh, I, I've only had a few times, I think maybe a few years before that, to speak there at the church in Greenwood. Uh, but our, Arkansas is a, is a pretty state, and uh, it's in the south. <laughs> so I know that there are good things about this state and, and good people. Uh, just a little bit about myself. If, I think there's a short bio on our website, collegeviewchurchofchrist.org. And I won't bore you with too many things, but uh, after uh, doing that, training program in Greenwood. I spent a couple of years doing a, another preacher program in Florence, Alabama, uh, with a College View congregation there that was right beside University of North Alabama's campus, and we had a number of college students, maybe 30 or 40 college students. The two years I was there had a good uh, work and training and, and working under Brother Harold Comer and Mark White. Uh, I think Mark has 
He's in Texas, Houston area now, but he has preached some up in the Blyville, uh, Paragould area a uh, number of years ago. Um, and then moved to uh, Jasper, Alabama, which is close to Birmingham, and lived there for six years and worked with the North Jasper congregation. Uh, up until that point, till 2006, I was a single guy and uh, met my wife, Anna. She's kind of has lived, her, her father's a preacher and has lived in Bradley and Jonesboro, and then her parents lived in Bentonville here in the state of Arkansas. But she claims Alabama as home, uh, Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, so I met her and, and uh, we married in 2006 and uh, had a good work there with that congregation and then have been at the College View Congregation in E-Town, as we call it, or Elizabethtown, Kentucky, uh, for 13 years now. We just finished 13 years at the end of August. And all those works have had their ups and downs, challenges, anything you do in life does. But it has been a very pleasant work. We have a, a great congregation there, a good, uh, solid eldership. Our shepherds are, are really good at what they do, and, and uh, on a smaller scale than what you have here, we're about 90-something people, I guess, 95 uh, but just have a lot of families with children our ages and, and have enjoyed that work. Um, we have kind of kept it in the back of our mind for a number of years if a good work opened up to uh, move closer to our family. So my mom lives in Oxford, Mississippi, which is about three or three and a half hour drive from here. Uh, and so if it's possible to be closer to her and Anna's parents live in Birmingham uh, area, Birmingham, Alabama. So I don't know what the future holds for us or for you, but uh, I, I wish nothing but uh, good things for this congregation, whether we are a part of this work or not uh, going forward. Let's get into our lesson this morning. Th throughout the Bible, we, we find many men who took on the task of, of preaching God's truth. They were just ordinary guys. They were men like Noah, and Moses, men like Elijah and Peter and Paul and Titus. But they were men who knew God and they were men who faithfully proclaimed God's word in their time. They faithfully dispensed God's good news to their generation. And one thing that tells me is that it has always been, and I assume it will always be, God's plan to use us people, human messengers, to convey his divine message. And to proclaim that message not only to his people, but to proclaim that message to all people that need to hear the good news of Christ. As we think about those men that have gone before us and even those men that work among us today, what is the work of these messengers? What is their God-given charge? As you are in the midst right now of looking for an evangelist to work with you here at Fairview Park, I thought it would be good for us to take some time this morning to consider what the Apostle Paul says to us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 about a preacher's charge. Now, there are some things, maybe it's kind of a, a running joke that preachers don't preach on. They don't preach on giving. <laughs> preachers don't talk a lot about preaching. I, I have had the opportunity of being very, very blessed from my very early years of preaching to be around a number of older preachers and to uh, just converse with them about a whole lot of things, but to talk, and even we have had in the past in the Louisville area a number of preachers that got together before the pandemic on once a month basis to just 
talk about the work of preachers, not really to study the scriptures so much, but just talk about the day-to-day work of preachers. But this morning I'm going to preach to you about preachers. And so I hope this lesson will be helpful to you in this particular time in the stage of this congregation. First Timothy or Second Timothy, rather, chapter four, beginning at verse one, Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And we'll turn away from uh, turn away their ears from the truth and we'll turn aside to miss. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul here was charging this young man, Timothy, this gospel preacher. With the task of doing a specific work, he was charging him with the task of fulfilling a certain duty that God had given him to do. I want you to notice back at the very beginning of this instruction to Timothy that Paul says at verse 1 that I solemnly charge you. Paul was giving a solemn charge. It is one he says in this verse that was made in the presence of God. As we spoke of this morning in our first session about Psalm 100 coming before the Lord, that we always live in the presence of God. We can not escape God's presence despite how we may try to do that. But in a special sense, I believe Paul is giving Timothy, he is charging him, he is giving him this particular work or task, and he is doing so in the presence of God. It is a very serious thing. He is calling upon God, I believe, as a witness He is reminding Timothy to take this charge very seriously and to take it in view of what he writes for us there at verse 1. That Christ is reigning now as Lord of lords and King of kings, but Christ is also going to return at some point in the future as our judge. And so we need to take that seriously. A preacher's charge then is a very sober matter. That doesn't mean that we as preachers just go around... (laughs) Never smiling, gloom and doom, outlook on life. But it does mean that we take that very seriously. It is not to be taken lightly. And I believe that is why the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy here when he comes to verse 5. To be sober in all things. To endure hardship, to do the work of an evangelist, to fulfill your ministry. He is encouraging and urging Timothy to be sober-minded as he suffered for the cause of Christ, as he suffered for proclaiming good news to people, that people maybe that didn't want to hear good news, as he was working and serving in the Lord's kingdom, that he would be sober in all things. And so at the very outset of our lesson this morning, before we look at what the specific charge is of a preacher in verse 2, I want to say this to you, that whether a man preaches, as we describe it sometimes today, (laughs) full-time, or part-time, whether he is going to preach the Word of God for a short time or a lifetime, I believe Paul is telling us here that that man is under divine obligation to carry out his charge. And it is a very serious charge because souls are at stake. Because as Paul would write to the young preacher back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, as he was giving him some instructions that I think are applicable not just to him, as a young evangelist, but to all young people, at least some of those, beginning at verse 12, 
how, how Timothy could live in such a way that no one would despise him for being a young man and preaching the gospel. As he comes on down a few verses later, he says, you need to take pains with these things. You need to be absorbed in them so that you can save your soul first and foremost and you can save the souls of those who hear you. He is under divine obligation to carry out that charge that God has given to him. Preachers are just, they're people. <laughs> different preachers have different personalities. Different preachers have different interests. Different preachers have different styles of, of presenting the message. But hopefully all of us who are trying to be true gospel preachers, we are presenting the same message, maybe in a slightly different way. But we all have that charge. It is a very serious thing. As we think about a preacher's charge this morning, his first charge is found there at the beginning of verse 2, and that is to preach the Word. This is the first and primary responsibility that a preacher has. And we might all be sitting here this morning saying, well, duh. <laughs> why, why is he called a preacher if he's not going to preach? But sometimes those of us who preach, we can lose sight of that. And especially as we think about the religious world at large, that there are a number of people who call themselves preachers that really are not devoting themselves perhaps to this work of preaching the Word. And sometimes brethren maybe can misunderstand what a preacher's work and role and responsibility is. Yes, as a Christian, he has responsibilities just like any other Christian. But his first and primary responsibility is to preach the Word. The word preach carries with the idea of being a herald. We, that, that, that concept or picture is kind of lost on us today, I think. <laughs> Because we get all of our news, as we spoke about in, in the last session, we, we get all of our news and information on our, on our electronic devices today. But in times past, maybe you've seen a movie, uh, maybe from medieval times, where the, the herald would ride in on a, on a horse. <laughs> and uh, he would proclaim, you know, hear ye, hear ye. And, and give the message of the king. He was there as a messenger of the king. He wasn't there to tell people what he thought or what, what he has decided or his wisdom. No, he is there to communicate the wisdom, the law, if you will, of the king. Thayer's makes the observation about this word that is used specifically of the public proclamation of the gospel and matters pertaining to it. And so gospel preachers have a charge to be heralds of the king. That We're, we're not just here to represent the president of the United States. We're not here to represent the Queen of England. We're not here to represent any worldly or human leader. We are here to represent the King of Kings. So what is a preacher to preach? Well, obviously, Paul states it here in verse 2. He is to preach the Word. But again, sometimes that, that is lost even on us as Christians. Maybe, maybe we want to uh, hear something other than the Word of God. Maybe sometimes as Christians, as we continue to get older, we kind of get tired of hearing the same things. But as Paul also encouraged Timothy and Titus several times throughout 1 and 2 Timothy in the book of Titus, he says just constantly to them as evangelists, remind them, remind the brethren of these things, remind them of these things. So we all need reminders. We're to preach the word. God's word must be the focal point of one's preaching. A preacher must emphasize and expound upon any and all of God's word. I believe this is what Paul himself did. If you go back to the book of Acts, when he was talking to the, the Ephesian elders as he met them at the city of Miletus in Acts chapter 20 at verse 20. And he's recounting to them the work that he did among them. 
Uh, something I just read, I think maybe it was yesterday from a, a brother in Christ on Facebook, made the observation that, that Paul here really maybe is not just telling them what he did. I mean, he was with them three and a half years. They knew the work he did. But maybe he was instructing them as shepherds, this, as he's leaving them, this is the work you need to do now. Verse 20, he says, uh, he was reminding them how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Verse 27 again, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or counsel of God. You know, Paul, in some ways, didn't have the advantage that we do today. He didn't have, I don't believe, the completed revelation of God put together in one book is, that we call the Bible. But he did have God's Word. God's Word was given to him through the Holy Spirit. But Paul is making the point here to these elders in Ephesus that when he came to them, what he, what he focused on was the Word of God, whether he was teaching publicly, preaching publicly, whether he was teaching from house to house. It didn't matter the setting, the venue. He was going to focus on God's Word. While a preacher certainly can use things other than the Word of God to, to make points, to use non-biblical illustrations, to, to kind of put colorful word pictures in people's minds so that they'll remember uh, that particular point from the Scripture, again, what he preaches must be God's Word. And that is very important. That is so because it is God's Word, not man's Word, that gives us spiritual direction in life. Again, from Psalm 119, we referenced this psalm several times this morning, but from verse 105, uh, a very familiar uh, saying, I think, to many of us. Psalm 119 and verse 105, he says there, Oh, how I love your, or, or your feet, rather, is a lamp to, your word, rather, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is God's word that gives us direction in life, spiritually speaking. Without God's word, we are, we are all lost. We, we don't know God as we should, as God wants us to. And so God's word is the only tool that can pierce our hearts. It's the only tool that can show us who we truly are. It's the only tool that can save our souls. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 12, the, the writer here, whether it be Paul or someone else, uh, says this about the word of God that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Are, are you able to do that with someone else? <laughs> I mean, I can't even do that a lot of times with myself. I don't even know how to explain to you what the writer is saying here in very much detail about the, the, the Word of God is like this sharp sword and it can divide even the soul from the spirit. I tried to do a number, number of years ago, I started a study on, on soul and spirit throughout the Bible, and I just gave up. <laughs> because they're so connected to each other, so intertwined with one another, I don't know that we can understand the difference, but the writer here says, so I take it by faith, that it's true that the Word of God has that power to divide even soul and spirit, but also to judge the intents and the thoughts of our heart. Can we even... We even struggle with that sometimes ourselves, don't we? Much less judging the thoughts and intents of someone else's heart if they don't reveal those to us in their words or their actions. But the writer tells us here that is the power of the Word of God. From the book of James, as James talks to us about the attitude that we need to come to the Word of God with, that we don't need to come with an anger as we read the Word of God. We need to come in verse 19 as people who are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
He says there at verse 21 beginning, Therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. James tells us here when we when we open up this book, and yeah, we just talked about media. I know some of you even this morning. Uh, uh, my wife even, I think, is reading on her phone. You know, I have Bible apps on my phone or a computer or something like that, which is fine. But as we open up the Word of God in, in whatever form we're looking at it, James says we're supposed to see a reflection of who we are supposed to be, of who God has called us to be. And I tell you, if we look into that mirror, honestly, we're going to find that there are some things that need to be fixed. But if we look into the mirror and we go away and say, yeah, I'll take care of that some other point, just like when we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror and we see that we need to brush our hair, but, but we're so hurried and frazzled that we just run out the door and we go to work or school or come here to meet with the Lord's people or whatever it is we do, and we don't take care of those things, it hasn't done us any good to look in the mirror, has it? But James says we need to look into the mirror of the soul because it is what shows us who we truly are. He talks in this section about being self-deceived, and that's very easy for me. I'm sure it is for you. But it is the Word of God that saves our soul, that shows us who God has called us to be. So as a preacher preaches, he must direct people to God's Word, not to his own thinking or wisdom. He needs to be reminding people of truths, perhaps that they already know, imparting truths that they do not know, just helping them to understand God's word and to apply it. I will say about that as we move to the next point here that just because a preacher says something doesn't mean it's so. <laughs> and those of us who preach, just like any other Christian, we're supposed to be studying the word of God and growing in our understanding of the word of God and our application. And so as time goes on, our understanding may change. Our application of certain biblical truths is going to change. But we need to be preaching the word. Secondly, he says to us back in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, that it is a preacher's charge to be ready in season and out of season. As a preacher is proclaiming God's word, he needs to be one who is ready to do so. That's the word that the King James, the old King James uses here in this passage is ready or uses instant rather. The old American standard uses the word urgent. The NIV uses the word prepared. And I think if you combine all of that, I think that is what Paul is, is saying here now. It's not just that we're prepared as gospel preachers to preach the word or as Christians to proclaim the word, but we have that sense of urgency about us that we have something to say and it needs to be said, in other words. In order for a preacher, of course, to be ready to preach the word, he, he must be prepared. That means that he has to spend a lot of time in God's word. He has to consider how God's word can, can uh, how he can communicate God's word to those who need to hear it, to his audience, whether it's an audience of one or a hundred or a thousand. And think about the best way that he can present that message to his audience. Also, a gospel preacher must be ready or prepared to preach the word. Paul says at this verse, in season and out of season. I believe this means, at least a part of it means, that we need to be ready to proclaim God's word at all times. As he goes on to say in the next verse, you know, there will be a time when people don't want to listen to sound words or sound teaching, sound doctrine. 
But whether people want to hear God's word or not, whether we think as preachers they're going to respond positively to it or not, whether it's going to make a change in their life right then or not, then we have to preach God's word. And sometimes that can be very difficult. Now, I don't believe that we who preach should should get up here and use the pulpit as our own personal sounding board. (laughs) That we get off onto our our pet projects or our hobby horse or those kind of things. And I, I really try not to do that. I don't believe that we should be up here preaching angrily to people. Uh, sometimes there have been some people that have said after I've, I've preached a sermon where you were talking to me. Well, yes, I hope so. <laughs> but I'm talking to myself just as much as any of you. And I believe, once again, Paul is just not writing these words and saying, you as a young preacher need to do this, but I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Because Paul himself is a good example of one who was constantly ready to preach at all times. Just, we're not going to turn and read all these passages, but Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, as Paul was coming, I think it was into uh, uh, Derby or Lystra here. It says that he was preaching the word to disbelieving Jews and Greeks, but also to those who were believing. That, that Paul was trying to, to reach everyone with the word of God. Whether, whether he faced opposition or not. And in almost every city, there was some opposition that he faced. You remember certainly from chapter 16 of the book of Acts, as Paul and Silas were in jail there in Philippi. And the earthquake comes and the jail cells are open and the jailer's about ready to kill himself. And Paul says, wait, don't do that. Let's turn the lights on. And then he falls down at their feet and says, men, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And verse 32 tells us that Paul and Silas began to speak the word of the Lord to them uh, that very hour. Notice verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. Paul was taking advantage of this opportunity. He didn't say, well, wait a minute. I've just been chained. I've been in stocks and bonds. I'm not in any situation. I've been beaten. I don't feel like preaching. And there's some days I don't feel like preaching. But this is the charge that has been given to a gospel preacher. Uh, to, the, to the ignorant Athenians, again, in the next chapter, as we read that passage already this morning, but Paul says, as he was previously walking around the city of Athens, you know, observing all their uh, temples and statues, buildings and monuments that they had made to false gods, and he's just soaking all that up. And then he has this opportunity as he comes to the Areopagus to speak to them about Jehovah God, He says at the end of that verse, at verse 23, Therefore what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Yes, as you read through Paul's sermons throughout the book of Acts and even the letters that he writes to to churches and to individuals in the rest of the New Testament, he he did think about his audience. He, He tailored his message specifically to the needs of his audience where they were. He didn't start, you know, here with these people of Athens that didn't know anything about God. He didn't start with them the same place Peter started back in Acts 2 or Acts chapter 3. They were Jews. They already knew Jehovah. They already knew the old scriptures or should have. He started there talking to them about Jesus the Christ. Kind of interesting here in this, at least what's recorded for us of this sermon. He doesn't start talking about Jesus till you get to the very end at verse 31. But Paul was always ready to proclaim God's truth to people who needed to hear it whether they would accept that message or reject it. So preachers need to be ready in season and out of season 
By the way, I, I don't believe that means uh, necessarily that, that uh, you can just say to a preacher on Saturday night, okay, <laughs> this is what you need to preach the next day. He's not going to be ready in the fullest sense that he could be ready. He's not going to be prepared. We need to make preparation for that. But he needs to be ready in season and out of season. Thirdly, Paul says to this young evangelist that a, a preacher's charge, his charge was to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. As a preacher proclaims God's word, his message must accomplish one or more. I think of these three goals that Paul lists here, to reprove, to rebuke, or to exhort. Those are not words that we use in our normal conversation every day. The word reprove carries with the idea of convicting, of refuting, even correcting. And so a preacher does this with the word of God again. He gives proof or evidence from God's word that convicts all of us of the truth of God's word. Not necessarily what he's saying about it or what he believes about it, but what God has stated. Or maybe it shows us as we looked at just a minute ago from James 1, as we look into the mirror for the soul, we see where we're, we, we, we don't line up with God's ideals, deals with God's values. We're really not being made into the image of Christ as we should be. And so it's the word that reproves us. He says, secondly, there that a preacher sometimes needs to rebuke. That's the idea of charging with wrong, admonishing, even censuring. And it could be sharply or severely. Again, a preacher does this by using God's word to expose sin in our lives, to, to show us where we are wrong and to bring us back. And then the third word, exhort, is calling to one side for the purpose of urging, encouraging, of gently warning one to be right with God. Maybe a brother or sister who is, is maybe again kind of subtly or very slowly drifting away from the Lord. And a preacher uses God's word to do that. Again, we're not going to take the time this morning to look at all these passages, but Paul uses these three words in other places in Titus chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Uh, Paul says there, as he has spoken about those who are shepherds and the character that they need to have, uh, about some, some men who were coming in, uh, teaching things that were not true and upsetting people's faith. And he says there at verse 13, This testimony is true for this reason. Reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20, again, Paul gives this instruction to Timothy. He says here, and this is in relation to uh, one who is a shepherd among God's people, uh, not being willing to admit their sin or to turn away from that particular sin. They're persisting in sin, in other words. But he says there at verse uh, 20 it is, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. And then he uses this word once again in Titus chapter 2 and verse 15 where he says there, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. That This is the nuts and bolts, if you will, of gospel preaching. Notice nowhere does Paul say you're to vent as a preacher. You are to just sharply rebuke some uh, a brother or sister in Christ because that that's you're letting off steam. You're you're trying to belittle them in some way or drive them away from the Lord. He says we do these three actions: reprove, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with the Word of God. It's really the Word of God that does that. We're just a tool or an instrument, a messenger to get that those things across. 
So Paul's use of these three terms, it tells me anyway that preaching must be balanced. It must meet, meet the true needs of the audience. Again, whether it's just one-on-one, whether it's a small group, whether it's a large group of people that you're speaking to, we need to take God's truth and connect it to people. Because it's our souls that need to be saved. One sermon that a preacher preaches over time you know, may be intended to instruct us or to convict us of some truth that's in God's Word. Another sermon may be preached to point out some specific sin that maybe we're struggling with, not to, to put that brother down or to kick them out of the church, but to help them see, maybe, if they need to, that what they are doing or saying or how they're living is, is wrong, it's not pleasing to God, and to bring them back, get them on the right path. What well, One sermon may be designed to encourage, while another sermon may warn of spiritual dangers that we face. And I will tell you, as, a, as I've been doing this, I mean, I say on my own, after doing some preacher programs for about 19 years now, that's one of the biggest things I struggle with every, every week, you know. Sunday's great, but Sunday's over. <laughs> and then Monday comes and the next Sunday's coming. To just try to be balanced in my preaching. That is a very, a very real struggle. And from what I understand from older preachers, it's, it doesn't get any better. It just continues. But as a man proclaims the word, a preacher must reprove, rebuke, and exhort whatever the occasion calls for. And then fourthly and finally, back to our text in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. Paul says that a preacher's charge is to do so with great patience, with long-suffering and instruction. As gospel preachers are using the word in the way that God intended for us to use his word to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort, we must do so, Paul says, with a lot of patience, with a lot of long-suffering, especially for those who may hear the, the, the same message and they may hear it over and over again. And it seems like to you, from your perspective as a preacher, that they just don't change. But I have to remind myself, sometimes I've, I've heard sermons on specific things, and I've studied things myself, and sometimes I don't change right away. It takes time for me. And this, what this demands of those of us who preach is a love for souls. It demands that we control our own emotions, that we don't get out of control, that a brother or sister. It demands humility on our part. It really demands being like Christ. If you want to come down to it. A preacher cannot, I don't believe, expect to just preach one sermon on a, maybe a specific topic or text that he feels the congregation needs or the eldership has asked him to preach some, a lesson on that. And just expect everybody to immediately accept it and put it into practice. <laughs> I mean, it took me a while, I guess, to, to learn that. But as a younger preacher... You know, I, I guess I was just so zealous and, and excited about whatever I was presenting that I thought people ought to change. But again, then I had to look at myself, and, and uh, Anna helped me a lot in this. <laughs> but to have to remember, I, I'm not perfect. And I'm sometimes very slow to change. But we need those constant reminders of things that we already know. Rather, a preacher must do as Paul instructed Timothy back in chapter 2 of this Little epistle, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, he says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. 
A gospel preacher must patiently and repetitiously preach God's Word until hopefully that Word sinks in. It's not His words, but it is God's words that finally sinks into that brother or sister's heart or that sinner's heart and change occurs. It is a patient and gentle correction. It is a patient and gentle leading someone to understand God's will for their life. And that takes a lot of time, and that takes a lot of energy. And it's not something that's going to occur overnight. I'm sure you know this as well as I do. There, there are brothers and sisters that we just think, why, why don't they get it? <laughs> Maybe they, they know it intellectually, but it hasn't translated into their daily living. But then all of a sudden, after years of, of laying the groundwork, the light bulb goes on. And what a joyous thing that is to see for ourselves, much less someone else. So as a preacher preaches, he must do so with instruction, again, emphasizing the need to stick with God's Word. The point here is that a preacher must patiently instruct people with God's Word. There are other things, of course, that are given to us in the New Testament about the the work, the role of an evangelist, as Paul even said there in verse 5, as he knew he was not going to be here on earth much longer, Timothy and his generation were going to take over presenting God's word to the world. He knew that it was a work, and it very much is a work. It's kind of, I have thought many times about uh, if you, whether you're a man or a woman in your family, if you cook, that it takes a lot of time, to, a lot of planning, a lot of preparing to put that meal together. Maybe we can think here in next month, next month, <laughs> Thanksgiving. You know, and many of us are probably sitting down maybe with family or friends and have a big feast, a, a meal that we don't normally eat every day of the year. But the cook or the cooks for that meal has spent probably a number of hours in preparing and planning and putting all of that meal together for us. And then 15, 20, 30 minutes is all consumed. Well, that's kind of the work of a gospel preacher, I think. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that many people don't see, don't think about. Uh, For myself, I get a lot of appreciation. But it is a work, but it's a good work. And it's one I think of the most noblest works that anyone could devote themselves to doing. Whether you decide to give your life to preaching or not, for just us as Christians to be living the Word of God for the world to see. What about you this morning? Has has the Word of God touched your heart in some way? It may be that you're not a child of God, and if that's the case, as I said to you before we begin our lesson, don't, don't let this day go by without doing something about that. If you need to talk to one of the, the shepherds here of this congregation or talk to a brother or sister in Christ, if you don't know all that you need to do in order to become a Christian to respond to God's love and mercy and grace that He's shown us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and to be in a right relationship with Him. I I feel confident there are a number of good people here, good Bible students that would help you in that. But if you're not a child of God this morning, once you come so that you can, things can be well with your soul, come before this assembly this morning, confess your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, exactly who He claimed to be and repenting of your sins than to be buried with Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to wipe your life, your heart clean, and to start with a new page in your life 
to devote your, the rest of your life here on earth to seeking God, to pleasing Him, to being more like His Son. As a child of God, it may be that, as we talked about in the last session, that other things have, have captivated your attention and you're caught up in scrolling through Facebook every day or you're looking for the next best thing, possession that you can obtain in your life or you're, you're really working your way up the career ladder and, and all of those things, not necessarily wrong, but they have taken your attention and your focus away from God. And if that's the case, then maybe you just need to talk to God about that. He already knows. But would you can admit that to Him and turn away from that and turn back to Him? It may be that you're a child of God and you're just struggling. You're struggling to, to know Him. You're struggling with some temptation in your life. And you need the prayers and the help of your brothers and sisters here, whatever your need might be. If we can help you in some way, if you're subject to the invitation of Jesus Christ, won't you come respond as we stand and as we sing?